Hi. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. I'm up about a pound to today. How about the rest of you? Well, thank you. It's not pretty, but it works. Thank you. Yeah, I love my Yeti. That's one of the best gifts anybody ever gave me. Uh, I was in my first church in a town called Kiwani, Illinois, western Illinois, about uh, an hour from the border uh, with Lake Moline, if you know that area of Illinois, Quad Cities. And uh, Kiwani uh, is the Indian word for prairie chicken. And it was uh, a town of about 15,000 people. I was pastor for my first senior pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. And uh, 1976, I was making $125 a week. I had gotten married uh, a couple years before that, and I had, uh, at the time I moved there, a four-month-old four daughter and, uh, and $250 uh, in school loans. Now, 125 a week, 250 in school. Can you do the math? It was, it was about the roughest time of life. And, and some of you folks are nodding. I know you, you remember when you're starting out in, in, in those days. And I can remember a lot of nights and having to go to the grocery store, cash a check, take the cash over to the bank, get the cash into the bank, hoping I could get another day or two float on the money before I get my next paycheck. Um, in those difficult days for us, it was uh, not a, a warm, you know, inviting town. Kiwani is called the hog capital of the world because uh, it was the place where the market used to be for, uh, for pork bellies and all that stuff that you hear on the commodities report. And I had a woman who worked at the church as a volunteer. Her name was Ruth Redeen. Ruth was in her 70s, you know, here's a widow, and she would type up the program every week, and then I would run the mimeograph machine. Is this dating me a little bit? And, uh, and we would, you know, crank out the bulletin for that, that Sunday. Widow, fixed income, but she saw my situation, and one thing she noticed that I never said a word to her about was I didn't have a coat I was cold so much of the time, I just didn't have a coat. And for, for Christmas, she went out and bought me a coat. She sacrificed so that I could have a coat. And uh, I'm telling you that story a number of years later because I want to say that gifts are important, significant. <clears throat> I really never heard many sermons in my life about what the Bible says about gifts. But it's an important thing, especially as we think about this time of year. Uh, and some of you are saying, why didn't you preach this a week ago? Because I just did my Black Friday shopping, you know. But in the Bible, in James 1, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. I, I love the simplicity of the scriptures at times, that it just says, uh, well, think like this. If it's good, it comes from God. Everything, every good gift you have in your life. Think about everything you love, everything you enjoy, everything you treasure, everything you value. Where does it come from? Ultimately, it comes from the hands of, of a gracious creator 
who, who made it for you and, and created it for you. But it's interesting that what's happening now in the world, in the last 10 years in particular, is there is growing uh, numbers of, of studies and research on the significance of gifts. Here's a result of, of one study. Uh, Julian Gibby at West Virginia, we all give gifts, we all stress over it, it can really have an impact on people's relationships. It can bring people closer or drive them apart. It has enormous well-being implications. Now, this is not, you know, from a, a Christian school, West Virginia University, but they are studying uh, the impact of gift-giving. And I think I know why, because one of the books I have loved for a long time is uh, this little book here. Uh, it's called The Meaning of Gifts by a, a Swiss uh, psychologist, uh, Paul Turnier, and in the introduction to the book, he says, for a long time I've wanted to write about gifts. What has been told me in confidence has impressed upon me the importance of their role in life. Gifts have many meanings, deep and subtle, both for those who give and those who receive. There are gifts we give to ourselves to put ourselves into a better uh, mood before taking on an, uh, a less agreeable tasks. And then there are those we promise ourselves afterward as a reward. Um, I don't know if, if you're like that, but, but a lot of times uh, food has been a reward for me in my life. And, you know, uh, obviously that shows. And the issue that comes up is... A lot of times if I, if I would be discouraged or anything, what would I do? Well, I, I'd find out that food was actually a very effective uh, form of self-nurture. And uh, it works really well. And sometimes uh, I'd eat something so that I'd feel better. Uh, Dom DeLuise wrote a book years ago called Eat Something, You'll Feel Better. And he's, you know, kind of halfway right. And there is a, that thing that kind of goes on. But there's also something sometimes when I'm feeling like I've done a really good thing, had a really good day, really uh, happy with the way everything has gone, that I want to go celebrate, you know, get a piece of pie somewhere, or do something, you know, like, and it becomes kind of a way of, of celebration. But what the, what the therapists are saying is this. A lot of times, uh, what you get and don't get is almost, uh, in a lot of people, a spiritual experience. What you want is you want that to know that people know you so well that they will get you the thing that you want without you saying it. They want to know, they want to know that somehow you know them well enough. Now, a lot of people, you know, uh, th their gift giving more and more is becoming gift cards. You know, we. We, we used to uh, buy stuff for, for our, uh, our kids, and we would just go to some place like the Gap or something like that. We would just buy them. It didn't matter what it was because we knew they were going to return it anyway. But we would just buy them something, and then eventually the kids said, well, why don't you just get us a gift card to a place where we can go and get what we want and save us having to go through the return line and everything fine. Well, you know, something, you have to admit that gift cards are kind of, blah in a lot of ways it feels kind of like impersonal and it affects people when we give gifts that don't seem to say we know you we understand you and we 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 have a sense of what your dreams are in life and uh and i'm going to show you how this comes out of the scripture in in a couple of ways in matthew 2 11 on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. 
presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why well, talk about gifts? Well, because it's a big part of the Christmas story. It's, it's a part of the Christmas story in that, the, you know, uh, certainly the, the wise men brought their gifts to him. But in a deeper way, it's part of the Christmas story because of the gifts that God has brought to us through Christmas. Um, wise men, how many were there? Well, you know, how many wise men were there? Everybody thinks three. Well, we don't really know. We think three because there were three gifts, but, you know, maybe there was that guy who came along. My father used to talk about church potlucks, and there's always one guy like, like Andrew. All he brings is his brother, you know, and it's, it's a little bit like that. You know, maybe there was a guy just along for the ride. And, but, the, but you have to remember that at this time in Jesus' life, uh, him and his family are going to be threatened with being killed, and they've got to run away to North Africa in Egypt and live there for a period of time. And what was it that financed the trip? It was the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, all which had great value in that society. And so God is providing what they're going to need, as God always is providing what we need. As we, as we think about gifts, though, a lot of it is... Uh, that we want to be known, we want to be understood, we want to be loved. In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, one kind of hyphenated word, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Um, when I came here for the first time, it was uh, September 4th. I didn't know when I came that you had the funeral for the pastor September 2nd. Um, I probably could have preached a better message if I think I had been more aware of what you were going through. I knew your pastor had just died. But you know what a, what a significant loss that was for so many of you and how much after having a pastor for a significant number of years, how much you miss him, especially when we come to times like this, holiday times and celebrations of, of uh, God's work in life. And we realize that God does give gifts. And so when, when Shay talks about the search team meeting and all the work that they're doing, in essence, what they're trying to do isn't just go, you know, dig in the bushes and find somebody. They're trying to discern. They're trying to ask the Holy Spirit to guide them to find the person that God has given to the church now because God has already made that decision. It's just a discernment process to find the right one, and certainly the opposite is true. The devil would love to mess up that process, uh, and, and so it's important to find the one who is God's gift to this church. Amen? And it's important that you're praying for these people as they go through that because they're just human beings, you know, and they need to have divine guidance. But I like in this verse, see those words, go back, uh, if you would, put that slide back on. See the words that equip uh, the people. In fact, just uh, normally leave the slides on, if you would, until the next one comes up. But go forward one now and just zero in on just those words. This, this Greek word, katartizo, uh, is one of my favorite words. And here, you know, most people think it means to be fully ready, uh, perfection, completion, maturity, those kinds of things. But the word also has a very strong context in the scripture of mending things that are broken. That part of why God gives leaders to the church 
is because so many of us come in as broken people. You know, we all have our flat sides in life and we need someone who will love us and treasure us and bring us along and, and value us. Uh, it tells us in First Peter, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. God doesn't give a gift to you to be a dead-end street. God doesn't give a gift to you so that you can just kind of use it and keep it God gives you gifts for the good of everyone to literally not just to help, but to serve, to be a servant, to be a slave to everyone. Each of you should use whatever gift God has given you for the common good of the church. That first church, I preached one Sunday about, you know, a lot of times in the church, God gives you the eyes to see something because God wants you to do something about it. And I came to the building a few days later and there was a woman named Helen Lang and she was on her hands and knees and when they had put the new carpeting down in the church, there was a place where there was, uh, they took up the old carpet and some of the glue was still on the floor and it had bothered her for five years. And she said, I finally decided maybe God wants me to do something about it because her career was restoring antiques. And it bothered her, and she knew how to get rid of that old glue. And she was there scraping that glue off of that floor because it had bothered her for a long time. Friends, you are given the gifts, even the eyesight that God gives you to see something is so you can do something about it, change it to serve others and to be faithful stewards of, of what God has given to you. Let me give you an example. Some of you may have seen this film, Ford versus Ferrari. And in this film, uh, one of my friends, Jeremy Fry, was one of the drivers. He was actually the stand-in for the uh, Christian Bale job. So if you go forward again, here's, uh, here's one of the, the pictures. And the guy there waving is my friend Jeremy. It's odd. Uh, go one more. You can kind of see he's got a piece of tape on his nose because of the way they put the face in of the other uh, actor, you know. But Jeremy is a professional stunt car driver. And Jeremy uh, is actually... Uh, most of the movies you can think of, like uh, the Marvel films, like Black Panther or Avengers, all those things, uh, the, the Batman movies, the, the John Wick movies, all those things, he's the guy who drives the car in the movie, the, the, the actual driver of all these amazing scenes. And, uh, but he is also a very strong Christian. So a few years ago, he was making a film in, in Hawaii, I mean Hawaii, in Estonia, and those are quite different places. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was there in the country, and I said, well, come on. And here, here we are. Uh, I, I said, I, I took him to church with me. I said, Jeremy, all these people are so excited about making this movie in Tallinn, Estonia. Let's just go and let them know uh, about your testimony. And I interviewed him, just asked him to tell about his relationship with Christ and how he came to know Jesus. And it, it became like a social media just kind of blew up with his testimony. Of, and who would think that a guy who just drives and crashes cars for a living would be able to have a significant testimony? And since then, when other people heard that, then they wanted him to come and give the testimony in their churches. And he has kind of parlayed that into more and more of a ministry. Now, here he is with his wife and children. His wife was actually on a church staff for a number of years. And 
and he has used his celebrity because of the films he's done to help tell people about Jesus Christ. Who would have ever thought that driving a car and crashing a car could be used to draw people to Jesus? But it has. Uh, And he's actually helped supporting and creating a church in the country right now. In 2 Corinthians 9, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Are you a generous person? I can remember my, I have an aunt who is a, lives up in Vancouver. She spent her life as a public health nurse in Canada. And uh, her first husband was a very kind of an odd guy. Uh, he was kind of a, what we would have called in those days a beatnik, you know, hang out, reading poetry in bars and stuff. And I remember for Christmas one year, he gave me his old socks. You know, it was just very strange gift to receive, especially as a young child. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he thought he was, but there's something inside of a lot of us that really understands what generosity is. And I'd, I'd like to give you a challenge sometime. Find another word for generosity in the Bible. And I'll tell you where I think you're going to end up. There's only one. It's the word grace. The word we talk about so much about God's grace is really at its core, God's generosity to us. And as followers of Christ who have been given so much, we have the opportunity to be generous, to be helpful with other people. And it ought to start in the church. The Bible is very clear. The first gift you always give. First day of the week, the Bible says, come together and give your gift to God. You have the opportunity every week to do that. Some of you can do that online. Some of you can do that in person. But you have an, an, an obligation as a part of this church to support this church. You want the church to have a strong position going forward so that, in essence, a pastor will want to come here. Here's some more research from, uh, this is from uh, Walter Brueggemann. Uh, God is the gift who keeps on giving. And the people around Jesus are empowered to receive abundance and therefore to act generously. Here's a quote from Arthur Brooks. Religious Americans uh, are, are not only much more likely to give money and volunteer their time to religious and secular institutions, they are also more likely to provide aid to family members, return incorrect change, help a homeless person, donate blood. In fact, I have never found a measurable way in which secularists are more charitable than religious people. Um, we have the opportunity in our gift giving to not just take care of our family and our loved ones. I think you should do that but to also be generous with the cause of Christ around the world and celebrate the coming of Jesus by making it possible for that message to go forward around the world. When we think about gifts, I'd like to kind of wrap up here thinking about what are the greatest gifts we have, what are the most meaningful gifts. And it comes from Romans 6.23. You know it. For the wages of sin is death. Here's what you get for your life. You just keep doing what you want to do. 
sin at its core is you just doing whatever you want to do and not caring what anybody else, what God or anybody else says about it. You just keep living that way. And here's what you earn for it, death. Because in the Bible, sin always leads to death. But the gift of God is something you always want, always need, can never earn, can only receive. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, you brought me a stool. Would you come stand up here for just a minute? Uh, I'd really like to thank you for giving me that stool. So, uh, okay. Okay. I'd like to give you five dollars. I'd like to give you a gift. This is a gift. Okay. Five bucks. God Bill. bless you. Bill. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. You can sit down now. Uh, now here's my question: When did it become his? I held it out, I offered it to him, I said, this is a gift, I'm offering this to you. And he said, oh yeah, thanks, that's very nice, I really appreciate that. When, when did it become his? When he took it, when he accepted it. You see, it's great to say that the gift of God is eternal life, but here's the, here's the thing that has to happen. You gotta reach out and take it. And it's, it's not yours just because you go to church. It's not yours because, you know, here's what happens to me. I, 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 meet, I meet a stranger I don't know. Hi, what do you do? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I had an uncle who was a pastor, you know. Or, well, my grandfather was a pastor. Or, you know, I've, I've, I've gone to church a few times in my life. Or, you know, everyone wants to tell me how spiritual they are. That has nothing to do with anything. Being a good, wonderful, best person in the world has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. It doesn't. You know why? Because you just can't be that good, good enough. You're going to make a mistake somewhere. But how do we get it then? We accept this gift worth a whole lot more than five bucks that God offers us, which is eternal life. It comes to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was uh, Frederick Buechner who wrote, God made us to yearn, to always be hungry for something we can't get, to always be missing something we can't find, to always be disappointed with what we receive. We always have an insatiable emptiness that nothing, no thing can fill. Um, and so... What does God do for that emptiness? Let's go back to the verse again. Go forward one, and it's, uh, it's he gives us eternal life. It comes in Christ. Here's another study from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. People who received experiential gifts felt more connected to the gift giver. How do I apply that in my life? Uh, this past week, my wife and I celebrated 49 years of marriage. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we're to the place, you know, we got pretty much the stuff we need now. I've got a coat now, you know. I've got the, I got the things that you have to have in life. In fact, I've got, you know, we're at the stage of life we're trying to get rid of stuff. Yeah, anybody else there? And... Uh, 
what am I going to give her for our anniversary? I haven't heard the Seattle Symphony Orchestra yet. They've got a lot of special concerts. And one of the pieces of music that my wife and I have sung in choirs in the past and we enjoyed singing this time of year was uh, Handel's Messiah. And they're going to do it in, in Seattle. And so I bought tickets so that we can have an experience together. We can go and hear Handel's Messiah, probably try to sing along a little bit under our breath, and probably cry when we get to the Hallelujah Chorus. First time I ever sang it, I'm standing next to an older guy in the choir, and I said, I've never sung this before. I'm kind of intimidated by it. I said, oh, don't worry about it. If you don't know what to do, just say hallelujah, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, and uh, but it was a very complicated piece of music. And, but now when I hear that song, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, forever and ever and ever, it touches me. Experiences create uh, a connection. Let me say that again. Experiences create connection. And one of the things that God has done for you in giving you eternal life is he's created a connection with you because he's given you a gift you could never get otherwise except he has to give it to you. But again, what do you have to do? You've got to accept it. In Matthew, again, it tells us that they bowed down the wise men, they bowed down. What a strange picture of these people bowing down before a child and giving them gifts. Just a little baby. You know, I, I used, you know, when your kids are young, a year old, two years old, and you have a birthday party and you make this beautiful cake, and what do they do? You know, they grab it and smear it all over everything, and, you know, they don't really appreciate it. Here's a little baby. What do they do? These great pictures. Here's a couple of them. Leave each one for about like 10 seconds and then just go forward. But great pictures that people have tried to show throughout history of what that moment was like when these wise men came. Um, What are you going to give Jesus this Christmas? Go forward one more. How about this? You accept that free gift of God, which is eternal life. How about this? You just come and in simple love and reverence, whether it's the first time or whether it's the thousandth time, you bow your knee one more time and worship him. You thank him for coming and changing your life and for giving you the gift that no one could ever give. Can you go back to the 2 Corinthians 9, 15 passage for a minute? Thanks be to God, Paul writes, because he has given the indescribable gift, uh, a, a gift beyond the ability of language, Remember how it says in the Bible, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, too deep for words, indescribable gift. Uh, I, I, what can I tell you about what Jesus means to me 
how many times he's helped me in my life, how many struggles we've lived through together. How, how can I ever really help you understand what it feels like to be me and to know what Christ means to me? I can't. Words are not enough, but the experience is the life-changing gift that you can receive and accept. Philippians chapter 2 says you're going to do it someday anyway. Might as well do it now. It says God has given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus in yellow, at every knee will bow, every knee should bow before him, will bow before him. Just that phrase, I love this picture here at the end. Every knee one day is going to bow to Jesus because of who he is. I had a man one time say, well, when I get to heaven, I got to talk to God. There are a couple things I'm going to tell him. You know what you're going to do? You're going to walk in the presence of God and you're going to start to say something and, and you're going to fall on your face before him. You can't. You can't mouth off. Have you ever been in court? <laughs> My wife went to traffic court one time, and I went with her. She didn't think uh, she should have deserved the, the speeding ticket that she got. And so she was going to tell the judge a few things and explain a few things, you know. And a, a couple of people before her, there was a guy there, and he started talking up to the judge. Your Honor, yeah, you think you're so big up there? And he just took that gavel. He says, okay, $50. Yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. Give me all. You're such a big man. $100. Yeah, you think you're going to, fine, go ahead. You just do whatever you want with me. I'm going to tell you what I think anyway. $200. Uh, he just kept talking. $500. And he says, if you say one more word, I'm going to have the bailiff take you off and put you in a cell. And he still kept talking. <laughs> My wife came up, said, I'll pay the fine, Your Honor. <laughs> I'll pay the fine, Your Honor. You don't talk to God and mouth off. Who the heck do you think you are? You fall on your face before him. Let's pray. Father God, what a great gift you gave to us, so, so deep and meaningful we can't even fully express it. All we can do is accept it. And yet uh, still, Lord, there are many people who have listened for years, but they have never just reached out and accepted this great gift you offer. They keep trying to earn it. They keep trying to prove they're good enough. They keep trying to show the world and they don't realize it's just such a simple thing to reach out and accept this gift. But I pray that today they would do it. Right now, I pray that they would do it. I pray that right now they would pray this prayer with me and just in your, in your thoughts, just say, Jesus, okay, you got me. I need a, a new start. I need a, a fresh beginning in my life. I want it to start today. And I'm going, to, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to accept this gift of life that you have offered me. I want to take this gift from you, Father, today. And it says their bowed eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before God in heaven.
And because of that reason, I'm only going to ask you just uh, to do one thing. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to sign anything. But if you prayed that prayer with me and you said, Jesus, I want to accept your gift today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Just between you and God. I will be your witness. Just put your hand up right now and say, I prayed that today. Thank you. Yep. I'm not going to beg and plead. I'm going to ask you one more time and then we're done. Anybody else? Just put it up for just a moment. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. God, you said that you would seal these decisions with your Holy Spirit. So come and seal that commitment, that decision right now. And may this, as a result, be the most meaningful Christmas ever because we finally understand what it's all about. In Jesus' name, we ask it together and we said... Amen. Let's stand together. In the Old Testament, the priests were given a gift from God. And here was the gift. God said to the priests, I will let you give this blessing to people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord God lift up his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And together we said? Amen. Friends, if you raise your hand and you don't have a Bible, right in the center of the room in the back, there's just a, a stack of Bibles there. You're welcome to just take one of those with you when you go. And I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John. You can look it up in the, in the front of the, the Bible there. There's a, like, it tells you what page it's on, Gospel of John, and just start reading about Jesus Christ, okay? But there's a stack there. You don't have to ask anybody. Just feel free to take one. God bless you.